I got to a point where I was drained. All of my creative juices were gone. Like, I remember being in the studio and just trying to force it to come out, and that's not how it works in music. And I realized, I was like, this ain't working. Let me start doing something else. So I remember I had got invited to the first game back in the Superdome after Katrina by Reggie Bush. And after the game, he had a party. I went to the party, and the DJ was just kind of killing it. And I was like, this DJ is fucking dope. So the next day, I'm in the airport, and this nerdy white kid comes up to me like, hey, I'm the DJ from last night. His name is DJ Spider. After that, we linked up. So at the time when, you know, I just don't feel it in the studio, I meet this kid, and he's inspiring me to get back into DJing, which I was in the early 90s and killing it in my hometown of Atlanta. This is Nas. You're now listening to The Bridge, 50 Years of Hip Hop. What up, everyone? This is your co-host, Minya O, a.k.a. Miss Info. Lil John has a lot of stories to tell about the chaotic and excessive late 90s and early 2000s. The ones that he can remember, that is. I mean, those years can get fuzzy for all of us. But when it comes to the music, Lil John's memory is crystal clear. He told Nas and I how he made so many hits in different genres, in different decades, and what Usher's Yeah and Petey Pablo's Freak-A-Leak have in common. And Lil John gives great life advice, too. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store. Like now, go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Crunk era was full of incredible energy. It was like our version of heavy metal and punk rock mixed together. Never had hip-hop been so loud and crazy. And the louder the music was, the iller the crowd got. Little John was the mastermind behind it all. His explosive club anthems were made all the more popular because of his unforgettable ad-libs. It seemed like every time Lil John yelled on a record, he gained a new fan. It was inevitable that he would become a pop culture icon. But in the end, it's his ridiculous number of high-energy hits for himself and others that make Lil John one of the best to ever do it. What up, my brother? Uh, you ready for some tequila shots? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that might have been the last time I drank tequila was like back then. It, it's always had to be with me. You know, I'm a bad influence. Damn, I ain't never know when I was going to see you again, but this is it. We did it. We figured it out. Last time when we was in uh, 
Ibiza, nigga. Damn. Oh, damn. Y'all were in Ibiza? <laughs> Going crazy. The club started like midnight. Yeah. Yep. My brother's there. I'm glad to see another black man there. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think it was David Guetta's set. I think that was Guetta's set. I have never been to Ibiza. It scares me. You're not missing nothing. Really? It's not Vegas. Vegas is the best party motherfucking place in the world. Yeah, it's better I, I than... I would never go back to Ibiza. It's kind of dirty. It's like really? dirty and like 17-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's cool. I think if you go with a squad, like yeah. if you got 30 motherfuckers, yeah. okay. you're going to have fun. I enjoyed myself. I'm glad I went. Yeah. It was great. I don't travel don't like that anyway. So, um, no, nah, I don't need to go back. Yeah. I asked one time Tiesto before I went to Ibiza because, you know, Tiesto been DJing since the 90s. I was like, what is better, Ibiza or Vegas? And he was like, hands down, Vegas. And then once I went to Ibiza and saw for myself, I see. It's another level in Vegas. Like, Vegas is the best place to party in the world. Do you love partying like that? No, I got Or is it all a gig? I think the longest I go is like 7, 8 in the morning. But I don't do that no more. I be tired, my nigga. Like, I'm 49, <laughs> nigga. I be tired. But the reality is, though, right or wrong... I think that that was like a role that people were putting on you. They felt like you really lived that every day, all day. And what yes. was your actual reality? Well, it's funny because the Dave Chappelle persona of me is kind of accurate. I'm like both of those people. You know for <laughs> firsthand, so yep. we've had very intelligent conversations. Yeah. And then 20 minutes later, I'm like, motherfucker, we drinking shots. Let's go. Right. Same right. thing with Nas. He's seen the same. We've been in the studio together working. Yes. I don't smoke or drink in the studio. Mm -hmm. Niggas think I'm on cocaine and everything. I'm like, bro, I don't do none of that. I'm in the studio sober as hell, laying these crazy records down, and we can have an intelligent conversation. But I'm yeah. also that crazy motherfucker. So it's hard, though, because... When I'm not trying to be the crazy motherfucker, motherfucker still won't be to be the crazy motherfucker. <laughs> yes. I want to learn, like, how did you start in music? How did you get the bug? How did you get bit? I started from, I was a drummer in elementary school. I started from playing drums in elementary school. So my foundation of music comes from playing the drums. Went through high school, still kind of playing drums and shit. And then... I started DJing. I used to have house parties at my crib all the time. So one of my boys, he would DJ all the house parties. We ended up just having turntables set up. So if we just want to wake up and have a party that day, we have a party. So through doing that, I was just became amazed at how he could control the party by playing music. Like he could change the mood, the vibe, get people hyped, slow it down, whatever. I was just like amazed. And so I, I wanted him to teach me how to do that. So then... I started to become a DJ. My man that was teaching me how to DJ had to go to the Navy. He left, went to the Navy. When he came back, I'm the man in Atlanta, and I put him back on with me. I'm at, like, the hottest club in Atlanta at the time. It was called the Phoenix. So that's how I got into music, and then through the Phoenix is how I met JD, right? So JD and me connected, and JD was like, yo, I'm about to start my label. I want you to come be an A&R and street promotions. I'm like, nigga, what the fuck is an A&R? 
I'm living in my mama basement, getting drunk, DJing every weekend at the hottest club. I don't know shit, but partying. So I start to work at Jermaine's label. And while I'm at Jermaine's label, and even before that, I started to have my own dance hall radio shows on local. It was a radio station, but it was listener funded radio. So it was like pretty community much, radio. Yeah, community radio. Shaka started there. Shaka Zulu started there as well. Wow. Shout out to Shaka. Yeah, so before, like, early 90s, I, I started in the community radio shit. I had a radio show from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So we go a little forward, and I ended up getting a show with one of the guys that I was in a Jamaican sound system with, Paul Lewis, on V103. I met V103 around the same time I started So So Deaf. And at this time, nobody was really doing this. We would take Jamaican acapellas and put them over hip-hop beats. We would take hip-hop acapellas and put them over dance hall beats. Nobody was really doing it like we was doing it at this time. And in doing that and having a radio show, we got this Jamaican label, Signet Records, to let us do a remix for Capleton's tour. Oh, wow. So this turns out to be my first hit record. And, that, you know, when I did Versus, I played the Cableton tour and motherfuckers was mind blown. Everybody from New York was mind blown that I did that record because it was such a staple for New York. And motherfuckers had no idea that two motherfuckers from Atlanta did that record, which got Cableton signed to Def Jam. And we actually Crazy. had two more songs on that album. So that's how I got my first kind of break in the industry as a producer is the Cableton tour as well as just getting industry props, was working at So So Deaf. And after Cableton Tour, me and my boy Paul Lewis produced the first record for Lil John Eastside Boys, which was called Who You With, which at the time was Freaknik was coming up. So it became circa 96, 97. Who You With became an anthem for Freaknik. Oh. And after that record became an anthem... We had to do an album. The craziest part about the Who You With record is that's the first record I ever recorded as an artist. So any artist will tell you the first shit they do is never a hit. So yeah. I was blessed. The first record I ever do is a hit record in the South, and that started my whole career as an artist. So that's kind of the rundown of the Lil John story. Tell me about that year when Who You With dropped to paint the picture freak, of Freak Nick. Yes, Freak Nick. Freak who you with? 96 ATL. All right, so Freak Nick was the ultimate black party. Yeah. When I say the ultimate black party, I also mean in a sense of good energy, good vibes, people just yeah. having a good time and wilding out in a fun way, no right. fights. Girls doing their thing. You know, we had the booty shake. The bass music was out, so the girls was, you know what they do to Uncle Luke. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But they was, like, literally doing it on top of cars in the middle of the street. like On the highway. I remember those days. I never got the chance to see it. Oh, you never went? I never. I never. We only heard about it. It was some of the craziest shit. Jones Beach had, could not compare. I know y'all had Jones nah. Beach back them days. We had Jones Beach. Yeah, this is a it, different it, story, Yeah, this it, a, it, it, Freak Nick's a different world. Yeah, and, and when I say the vibes were so good, I remember walking down the street. This was before I was, like, famous. And somebody like, hey, bro, you want a beer? 
passing the beer to you or hit this joint. I remember just getting in somebody's car. I didn't know hitting the weed and having a beer with them and then jumping out and walking up the street some more because people is walking. It's so much traffic. You could just jump out the car and just walk and just party and then get back in the car with whoever you was in the car with. But it was just good vibes and it was wild. It was just a wild party. So 96, 97, the song Who You With comes out and everybody in Atlanta was playing that. So everybody from out of town got kind of exposed to it. But I remember it was so big that they showed people partying on the news. They were like, oh, the crowds are crazy and people, whatever. And you could hear Who You With playing from people's cars. I was like, wow, we made it. Was Freaknik an organized event? Like, who was the promoter or the organizer of Freaknik? I don't think it was ever a promoter. There were promoters, like, bringing artists in. And I think it was the same time every year. Like, mm-hmm. And it basically was the black colleges, people at all the black colleges would say, we going down to Atlanta this weekend. I think it was just a network of people at all of the HBCUs, and then they just all would flood the city. And it just took over Atlanta because it started as small, a small thing at like Morehouse and Clark and Morris Brown and Spelman. Mm-hmm. I think it was just those HBCUs started it in a park and every year just grew bigger and bigger and bigger till the city just couldn't control it anymore. And where did all the white people go during that week? They got the fuck out of town. <laughs> <laughs> they would literally pack up and leave and take a vacation. <laughs> Because you could not go nowhere in Atlanta. Like, everywhere in Atlanta, it was traffic and people in the streets and partying and booty shaking. So they were like, nah, we taking the kids uh, somewhere else. (laughs) And why did it end? Why did Freak Nick end at a certain point? It probably got too wild. It was too wild. It got shut down? Too big. Yeah, the city of Atlanta decided, you know what? We're going to make it where they can't get off the highway or they can't drive down this street. They just made it such a hassle that it ended up just people were just like, it's a wrap. People couldn't get permits to do certain things, and they just they just shut it down. But it was a great time to be black. I will say that. It was a great time to be black. Damn, I wish something like that could happen today where it's just fun times, all good. Yeah, the, the youngsters now got such a different mentality. You know that it's no way yeah. that could happen. I think there was a magical time, too, when Atlanta was truly like the center of the hip hop universe. Yeah. And it's a lot of the time that you're talking about, like when. It still is. Yeah. Yeah. But when Crunk really came out and you were just changed on every game. song and changing the way that people partied and changing the way that people talked. I mean, if you can kind of take us back to what that felt like. And I know everybody and their mama was trying to get a record with you. <laughs> so I know you had to have five phones. No, I mean, you know, a lot of that is a blur. Like, you know what I mean? But I remember, like me, <laughs> I love everybody. And I want to, if I can get it in and give somebody something special, you know, I'm going to try to do it. Because I believe I have this talent and I'm supposed to use it. You know what I'm saying? So I wasn't a guy that just like, nah, I'm going to turn them down. Or nah, I'm going to turn that motherfucker down. If somebody hit me, I'm like, let's fucking get it. Let's try to do it. But it's crazy because I was independent when shit was blowing up for me, too. Like, I started off doing it myself. We got our deal with TBT in 99, 2000. 
And then we dropped Bia Bia. Bia Bia might have been the first single. And, you know, to be from the South, to be up in New York and Funkmaster Flex is playing it. You know, I was a person that traveled to New York a lot because I worked at So So Dev. You know, Jermaine would have me out. So I knew the power of Flex. And that's also a reason that I got Big Cap on the song, R.I.P. Big Cap, because I knew Big Cap's voice from so many, you know, what they call breakbeat records or AV8 records, which was records that hype up the fucking crowd, the party. So I knew his voice, and I knew that was Flex's right-hand man, and I knew he opened up for Flex. So I got Cap on the song, and... That was strategic because I thought that would help me to get more New York DJs playing mm. the song. And that's exactly what happened. And we broke through New York. And then that was just the start for me. And it's crazy because New York embraced that shit. You know, and it was dope because I think when it's we crazy. started to go, it was also the time of Dipset. And Dipset had that raw energy too. So mm-hmm. they'll play my shit and Dipset shit back to back to back. And just the club is fucking sweating and the wall's about to fall down because there's so much rowdy energy. But it all happened so fast. I was producing for myself and producing my shit and then, you know, producing for my artists. And then, like now I said, motherfuckers started to try to, to call me to do other records. The Usher record came because I was in the studio with Mystical. I was doing beats for Mystical. Mystical... Didn't pick any of the beats, but my man C.O. had laid down like an idea over basically what is the Freak Elite beat. Mm. So crazy shit to that is if you listen to Freak Elite at the beginning, it goes, yeah, Lil John. That's not even me. That's C.O. on the demo. That was from oh. the demo. When they mixed it, they thought it was me, so they kept it. So he does the Freak Elite record. I, at the same time, somebody on my team gives the beats from Mystical to Sean Garrett. Sean Garrett writes, yeah, to the Freak Elite beat. We go in with Usher, record it. Freak Elite ends up being out. Petey Pablo. Yes. Uh L.A. Reid calls me and J.D. one day. It was Christmas time. i never forget it. And he's like, why the fuck am I hearing the Usher record on the radio? I'm hearing the instrumental on the radio. He was in Miami for like Christmas. And we like, oh shit. So I find out that Jive finished the song, mixed it, and had put it out. And we got Usher's recorded to the same beat. And I'm like, fuck. So I try to convince them to like, yo, let me just give y'all another beat. They like, no, this is out. We gonna use this, whatever, whatever. So I have to go in the studio to do a new beat and Craziest shit ever to me, even when I think about it to this day, is that I was like, all right, just take all the music off. I'm going to keep them drums, and we're just going to play some new synths. So basically, I used the same drums on two different records that went to number one. Wow. So yeah and Freakalik both have the same bones. Yes. I didn't even know that. They were the the biggest songs in the universe. Man, that's magic. I didn't think the P.D. Pablo record was going to be that big. You know, I thought it was just going to be whatever. So that's why I was like, ain't nobody going to remember that song anyway. Who cares? <laughs> just, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And 
it took Freak a Leak a year, but it eventually became a smash. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It took longer than normal, but it became a smash. But I still, to this day, am amazed that I had two records with the same beat that worked and nobody complained. <laughs> I mean, maybe that was actually the magic because you know that they worked together. Yep. It was a connection. They already yeah. liked one song. They yep. liked the other song. They don't really know. Two different records altogether, yeah. right? Two different type of records. And I think it's a blessing that we had to give Yeah a new beat because Yeah isn't as big over Freak Leak. It's bigger as Yeah because yeah. the simps are brighter and it's more, it's a little more poppier mm. than Freak Leak. And whose idea to put Ludacris because he came on yeah. that thing and went crazy. Oh. So I called Ludacris like, bro, I got this record with Usher, bro. You need to jump on this thing. It's crazy. He fucking knocked that shit out. Monster. And then when it came time to do Lovers and Friends, crazy shit about Lovers and Friends is we working on Usher's album. Yeah, we know that's a smash. Then I do another record, Red Light. And oh, then I love that, yeah. I was in a strip club in the Blue Flame, and the DJ plays Michael Sterling, Lovers and Friends. And I'm like, that shit could be crazy for Usher. So I get him to burn it on the CD. I ended up giving it to Usher. I think he never listened to it. He didn't never listen to it. Because I just was like, this idea, it could be crazy. And I think he was just probably like, I'm done with this album or whatever, right? So later, I'm working on my album, Crunk Juice, and I'm like, man, Usher didn't use that shit. I'm going to fucking do this. So I make the beat and then get Usher to come down, record it. And then I call Luda again, like, bruh, we got another one. Send it to him. <laughs> smashed it, and the rest is history. But the crazy shit about that is I think everybody thought the next record was going to be just like, yeah. And me, in my mind, I'm like, I want to do something different to shake it up and to Mm. throw people off and give them something different. I think that was also a blessing because that record was number one. Lovers and Friends was number one without a video. Song of the year, Billboard song, rap song of the year with no video. At a time when you had to have a video to go number one or go platinum or whatever. That song is crazy. It was almost if you did a video to it, like it would have been overkill. I mean that in a positive way. It was <laughs> so crazy. After yeah, I was scared that Usher could not even make a record ever again to, <laughs> to come near yeah, it. Yeah, it was so- I'm like, there's a problem when you make a hit so big that your whole life, your whole career path changes. That's one of those records. And then Lovers and Friends, and y'all did it again. Pure genius, man. Thank you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you create something that is so huge, the crunk movement, 
what was kind of the transition for you going from crunk and it being the biggest thing in hip hop to you really working with the David Guettas and a lot of the dance movement and going global? Well, for me, I had been doing all the production on all the records, had the label deal, you know, producing for other people for so many years. I got to a point where I was drained. All of my creative juices were gone. I remember being in the studio and just trying to force it to come out. And that's not how it works in music. You can't force it. And I realized I was like, this ain't working. Let me start doing something else. So I remember I had got invited to the first game back in the Superdome after Katrina by Reggie Bush. And after the game, he had a party. I went to the party, and the DJ was just kind of killing it. And I was like, this DJ is fucking dope. I got somebody to get the DJ's number, whatever, whatever. So the next day, I'm in the airport, and this nerdy white kid comes up to me like, hey, I'm the DJ from last night. And I'm like, oh, you? And so <laughs> his name is DJ Spider. After that, we linked up, and he got me back into DJing. So at the time when I had, you know, I just don't feel it in the studio. I meet this kid and he's inspiring me to get back into DJing, which I was in the early 90s and killing it in my hometown of Atlanta. So we start DJing together and he's like an open format DJ. So, you know, that's all different kinds of clubs, basically playing all genres of music in a night. So through that, I started doing a lot of stuff with him. And then I was also in Vegas a lot. And listening to, like, my man DJ Vice, he was killing it at Tao at the time. And I was just hanging out. And, and I just started to study the scene. And I started at Live in 2010. And then I think I started in Vegas around the same time with my first residency. And I just started to get into the next thing, basically. And through doing the open format, I started to discover the EDM hmm. kind of crowd. And my first time linking up with Steve Aoki was actually 2010. Me and him became friends, and we ended up going in the studio and doing some stuff. I also worked with DJ Chucky early on. And actually, I think Pitbull, I can kind of credit for getting me into that world because we did a record, um, The Anthem. We -hmm. did a record together. That turned out to be a huge record. And on the video set of The Anthem... I met LMFAO. We go on to later link up and do shots. So shots, Huge, the stuff I do with, with Pitbull, yeah. the, the records I do with Aoki, all of that kind of puts me into that EDM world and, you know, had a really good time doing all of that because it was, like, easy for me. Because, like, I'm Mr. Hype Man. I can hype up anything. So it was, like, an easy transition from hip-hop to EDM because EDM has a lot of energy, too. I'm making high-energy hip-hop yeah. records. Now yeah. I can get on this EDM stuff and hype people up. It was just easy. So then what's crazy is doing all of that stuff in that world, open format, clubs, in Las Vegas, 10 years after Yeah, which is 04. So 2014, me and DJ Snake link up, and we do Turn Down For What? So it's really crazy to me. Ten years wow. after the biggest record of my career, I have another record that's that big. Yeah. Because you don't get two chances to, no. you know, ten years later, 
maybe hopefully com- we do. Yeah, yeah. five <laughs> years maybe you'll have another big record, but ten years because in hip hop world, ten years is damn thirty years. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. It's a young, That's a it's whole a, career. It's a young cat's game. Yeah. That's the only problem I have with hip hop is that we don't celebrate the ones that did us before as much as we should. Like Jamaican culture, they still play fucking Studio One mm. shit in a hot night or yeah. the 90s dance hall. Certain other cultures celebrate the ones before. We don't do it like we should. So, yeah, 10 years is forever. So that's the biggest blessing, one of the biggest blessings of my career is to, number one, have records that have longevity, but to, number two, have another smash after my biggest one. Congrats to that, man. Yes. How was your business at the time? Like, did you get all of your paper straight and all of your credits, or were you partying, you know, having fun, not really paying attention. I mean, we all fucked up. We fucked up a lot of money in our, you know, a lot of us artists fucked up some money. Facts. I did make some bad business decisions because we didn't have motherfuckers to show us. You know, it's always the OGs show you how to take care of your shit. It's like, yeah, I'm buying Lamborghinis. I'm buying chains for the whole squad, 30 fucking gold chains for everybody and all this yeah. shit. And yeah. some nigga come in my ear, yo, invest in this restaurant in this terrible idea. So I definitely was blowing money. I learned a lot, though. So I wouldn't, you know, change anything because all of that shit made me better now and appreciate shit more. I did have a business manager. I did have my taxes straight. I had people handling shit, but I That's did important. fuck up some yes. money. Like, I should have done more. And I wish I would have invested in certain things like paid attention to like, okay, I use Amazon to buy my kids' toys. I should invest in Amazon because this is going to be the future. Hmm. People are lazy. They don't want to get up and leave the house. Right. You know, I would have wished I would have done all of that type of stuff. It would have meant a lot to me right now. So a lot of time that I spent with Lil John was because I was working on this book. I wrote this book back in the day called Bling Bling Hip Hop's Crown Jewels. And it was basically nice yeah. a book all about the, the history of hip hop jewelry. And you had so many incredible chains, but beyond that, John would walk around with this chalice, right? It was a, a glass yeah, that had yeah. all these rhinestones all over it and people were losing their minds. Like if you had a chalice line at the time, it would have been right. in William Sonoma. It was just right, like right, people right. were tracing you down for that. So in hindsight, you know, all of the things that we know now because we're more savvy, yeah. I mean, you know, everything is like a learning experience. Yeah. You know, when they have these expectations of your behavior or the, your, your personality, how do you, like, give them the real so that you don't have to pretend? All right, this just happened. I had to DJ a pool party at this club called Wet Republic. Now, mind you, the night before, I had to do the nightclub, Hakkasan. And the pool party got really crazy, wild, ratchet, and it's not supposed to be ratchet. So it just got really crazy. And we drank a lot of shots. So I came in and crashed and went to sleep. And then my homeboy wanted me to get up and go hang out with him for his birthday. When I got up, I tried to get out the bed, but my body was like, no, you're not yeah. going no motherfucking where. <laughs> so I hit my nigga like, bro, I, I ain't going to be able to make it. He was like, man, come on, man, blah, 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 blah. So I was like, all right, all right, let me try. 
Tried again to get up, you know, go brush my teeth and whatever, wash my face. Body was like, sit your motherfucking ass down. So that's basically what it is. Sometimes I, I just got to tell people, bruh, my body's yeah. saying no. And right. they're going to give me shit. But at the end of the day, they're going to be like, you know what? It's all good. We'll, we'll turn up another day. Yeah. I'm a drinker too, man. Like, I go through that. And like you, I'm 48. So I'm like, yo, I can't do what I used to do. And sometimes you trick yourself. You're like, I'm handling this. Mm-hmm. We had a few. Right. I think I got this. Second I wind. Think, yeah. I think I got this. The next yep. day, I'm down. You yep. know, and it's yeah. the worst because you're like, yo, it's really I'm getting older. And it's like, I can't drink like I'm 25. I'm going to give you the secret. What is the secret? Please give yes. it to me, bro. CMOS. CMOS. That's it? Bruh, you're not on CMOS, are you? No. All right, so two years ago, I started to hear about Dr. Sevy. You know what I mean? So I was like, man, I'm going to try this. So I found some random spot to get some CMOS tablets, right? So I started taking CMOS. And then three, four months later, I was like waking up and I'm like, I don't have no fucking hangover. What the fuck is going on? This is weird. And then I started to look back at what I was doing. I was like, it's got to be this CMOS. And so since then, it made me a believer. So I've been on CMOS, like I said, a couple years. I now make my own CMOS. I get the the raw CMOS and make my own, combine the CMOS with bladderwrack and elderberry. So I make my own stuff. I take it on the road with me. I put my hands up to it. It works. You get on that CMOS, it'll change your life, bro. Telling you. Wow. CMOS, drink the green juices every day, ginger shots every day. I give you three, four months, you will stop having hangovers, period. Say less. You know how I drink. Y'all know how I drink. (laughs) So I'm on it. If I'm giving you a testimonial, it's dead ass for real. Yeah, I'm all about health now, too. I done had my nights, and I still have my nights, you know. We're going to go out. We're going to hang out and do what we do. I, you know what? I watch what I eat. I still have my pastas. I still yeah. have my, my dairies and my fried dessert. stuff every once in a while, some yeah. dessert every once in a while. You know what I mean? I love John and Vinny's in L.A., I'm a sweet chick. But, <laughs> you know, I keep it balanced. Yeah. And I mean, coming from Atlanta, that's where you born? Yep, born and raised. Born and raised in Atlanta, that's real. Hard, because to, hard to be that's healthy. That's a party city. A, yeah. yeah, it's a party city. Man, fried chicken, fried fish, wings. Yes. Eating Waffle House at 2 in the morning. Yeah, uh, yeah. I gave up all of that. Like, I try not to eat after 10 o'clock. I do the intermittent fasting, so I don't eat till like 1 o'clock in the afternoon every day. But I gave oh, up serious? the late night. Wow. The late night, four in the morning, chicken wings and shit, strip club chicken wings and sandwiches, and I'm not doing it. This is stuff like my parents used to tell me when I was a kid. I didn't want to hear it. Right. Exactly. That was me telling mines. Yep. Like I said, I'm getting older now. I can't really go as hard as I used to go, and I'm way more about my health now, too. Way mm. healthier than I've ever been in my entire life. So it's like... Yeah, that's the hard part is when I'm not trying to be the crazy guy, people still want me to be the crazy guy. If you saw John with his cup, oh. from you can see him from a distance. There's John. <laughs> Superstar vibe. All types of people, like white ladies running over, trying to get a sip of the tequila <laughs> bottle. Like, he was a magnet. A walking party. Yes. I think that's the blessing of me being that way. 
for so long. And that's why I'm still able to be in a Las Vegas. You know what I mean? Right. And continue to like be on stages and shit. It's because of all of that. You know, I stayed out of trouble. I wasn't scary to white people. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? You know how it is, Nas. When you're not scary, you can go make money with motherfuckers. Oh, I know. You know, so. I love you guys for not being scary to white people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it paved the way for a lot of that bridging to happen, yeah, right? Yeah, and crossing over. Yo, I remember that time we did Quick to Back Down. I really appreciate you for that. Because I had dudes in the studio that didn't belong in the studio. It was, uh, <laughs> they were great for being in the studio with me. Like, right, I'm speaking right. about my brother and my homeboy at the time. It was great that we was hanging out and that these guys who had so many cool ideas, I got them a record deal at Columbia, and they needed a record. Yeah. The Bravehearts, right? Yeah. These guys were not really rappers like that. Yeah. But, you know, it was something for them to do. And I really needed you to come through, and you came through. And you gave us something that these guys will never forget. Well, first, I got to thank you because I think at that time, the South still wasn't respected as it should be. And especially for, you know, hip hop artists to be fucking with South niggas like that. Like you, I appreciate you as a New York well-respected hip hop artist for, for, you know, giving me an opportunity to work with you and your brother, and just the Bravehearts as a whole, that meant a lot, like I said, because niggas weren't fucking with us like that. And then after working with y'all, I'm one of the few at that time did records with niggas like that. Thank you for the opportunity. And I had a ball in the studio with y'all. Jungle, that's my nigga. That nigga crazy as fuck. (laughs) We had a good time, and I think we all really connected in the studio, too, so... Thank you for that. You're doing epic things. And it makes everybody see that you can evolve. Yes. You got to evolve. And that doesn't happen a lot. Nope. Doing what you love, still DJing, still the way you started. They celebrate you. And maybe that's like a lesson for us. Like, we have the energy God. It doesn't matter what the type of music is. We should be always reinventing it and, and appreciating it. Well, we were talking, we get older. I started to understand my purpose and why my music makes people go crazy. And it's because I'm here to make you forget about the drama in your life for a little while, to let loose of whatever is going on, you know, for yourself right now or this week or this month or this year. You can have a release of that tension and that stress when you go to the club or you in the gym and you listening to my stuff. Or if I come around, like in my Vegas says, people come just to get drunk with me, you know? So it's like, (laughs) I'm here. God put me here to make you feel good and to help you to get a release and not be so stressed out about what's going on in life. So I understand that's my purpose. And that's why I'm going to continue to do that until I have no more breath, you know, until my voice is gone. Because that's what I'm supposed to do. We need you, man. Continue doing what you do. You bring a joy to the world. That's what music's supposed to do. Yeah. Healing powers. Yes, phenomenal little John, man. Thank you, we sir. Thank you, man. We appreciate you. On next week's episode of The Bridge, 
50 Years of Hip Hop, we speak with Common. Honestly, that's how I started writing. Like, I was with one of my guys. We drove over to one of his girls' house, and he went in and, you know, had to do his business. And I was sitting in the car still <laughs> drinking a 40 because I was working, you know, working on my rhymes. And I ain't had no pen or nothing. So I just started saying what was coming to me. I kept doing that, and it created what you said. I feel like the music should be able to pour out of us. We ain't got to overthink it, and it's just a divine expression. From Spotify, the executive producers are Gina Delvec and Jason Rodriguez, with additional production support from Leslie Guam and Andrea Salenzi. And special thanks to Courtney Holt, Jessica Dow, and everyone at Spotify who helped the bridge come to life. From Mass Appeal, the executive producers are myself, Nas, Peter Bittenbender, Jenya Meggs. Lead producer is Medina Pawana, and associate producer is Serge Jabrija. Our writer is Gabe Alvarez. Samara Langer and Cliff Cristofaro are our editors. Thanks for listening.